art and controversy go hand in hand. Many celebrated artists tiptoe on the edge of taste, decency, and political correctness as a means to explore emotions and boundaries. Theatrical shock tactics are nothing new. Since the beginning of the modern art era, bodily fluids, including blood and urine, have been employed as a medium to articulate concepts and ideas. In recent years, we've witnessed visual artist Millie Brown vomiting liters of brightly colored milk over pop royalty Lady Gaga. We've seen a frozen sculpture called Self made from the blood of artist Mark Quinn, now recognizable as the beginning of the YBA movement in the 90s. And even 60s pop artist Andy Warhol dabbled in bodily fluids when he asked frequent visitors to his studio to urinate over freshly laid canvases on the floor coated with copper paint. When the canvases dried, the urine had oxidized the copper into glorious shades of green and tardy brown. Quite beautiful. Shock value was nothing new in underground queer entertainment. We can credit Divine, the drag queen of filth, who in 1972 ate real dog shit off the ground in John Waters' iconic film, Pink Flamingos, as the originator of shock value. In a sense, Divine and John Waters laid the groundwork whilst placing the bar very high. Anything after that seemed like child's play. What else could be added to that discourse which would top it? Well, to answer this question, we need to travel back to the 1980s to meet an artist who was clearly inspired by Divine and sought to add to that discourse. Welcome to Cancelled. I'm your host, Cam, and this is the show where we look back at some of the biggest and most bizarre attempts to cancel people, corporations, and even countries. You may think the subjects of our very rigorous and academic study deserve public disdain. You may think it's all a gross injustice, but it doesn't matter because all of them were judged in the court of public opinion and ultimately canceled. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Long before the internet and smartphones, nightclubs provided the only platform to be seen within your community. Pre-Instagram, you actually had to leave the house to find other like-minded souls, and visibility on the smoky dance floor was key. London, firmly established as the epicenter of the 1960s psychedelia and the Mohican-studied punks of the late 70s, continued its style makeover when people like Boy George, Steve Strange and Princess Julia slapped on their war paint and headed out for a night on the tiles. Amidst the draconian rule of Thatcher, British nightclubs became a hotbed for subversive underground culture to re-emerge and feed the mainstream. As if overnight, new romantics, as they became known, beamed into popular culture through your radio, television, and daily news rag. These nighttime legends rose to prominence in the style and culture stakes. They crossed over into the mainstream media and became swiftly adopted by art galleries and popular entertainment TV shows. At the start of the 1980s, when unemployment was at an all-time high, 
it became de rigueur to dress up and impress for a night out. If you didn't, you simply wouldn't get in. Style elite nightclubs employed door whores, essentially a gobby fierce promoter or club kid to decide who gained entry and who didn't. Such figures became notorious amongst the throngs of dolled up hedonists hoping to jump the queue and make an entrance. One such clubber was exhibitionist Lee Bowery. Bowery arrived from Sunshine, Australia in 1980 and eventually found his place behind the VIP rope at many of the capital's notorious hotspots. By 1985, he ran his own club called Taboo and soon established himself as one of the most expressive freaks on London's bubbling scene. Bowery's work consisted of creating outfits, or looks as is known today, which drastically altered the shape and silhouette of his body. Bowery sought to challenge and change perceptions of the human form in dramatic, painful costuming. Famously declaring, my favorite fabric is flesh, he manipulated, adorned, painted, and reimagined his body beyond the notions of male, female, fantasy, or other. What began on the debauched dance floors in Soho soon spread onto the stage and screen. By 1988, Bowery's creativity combined with his show-off mentality opened the door to regular appearances on BBC's closed show Live, performing with and designing costumes for the Michael Clark Company, interviews with Jonathan Ross and Bananarama, and even crossing over to America when chat show queen Joan Rivers invited him as a guest. In a very short space of time, Bowery had become a media sensation and an established TV star. No small feat at all. Literally. Bowery was a towering height, especially when wearing heels. But by the tail end of the 80s, though, the clubbing landscape looked and sounded very different. Enter Acid House, Ecstasy, and AIDS, and suddenly a shift occurred. Those prominent razzle-dazzle doyens found themselves in very different territory, Bowery included. In the wake of AIDS, performances using bodily fluids, particularly from gay men, obviously created ripples within and beyond the scene. Although Bowery kept his HIV-positive status hidden during his life, it was during a performance for an AIDS benefit that Bowery proudly showcased his new act, the anal douche, otherwise known as an enema. To those who may not know, an enema or an anal douche means cleaning your derriere with water, usually squirted into your back cavity using a soft rubber container which comes in varying sizes. Here's the backstory, pardon the pun. While sitting as a model for the painter Lucian Freud, Bowery was obligated to shave his entire body of hair. It was during these bathing and shaving moments that he discovered he could shoot water out of his backside similar to a whale's blowhole. Over time, Bowery had trained himself to hold this water, and a lot of it, up inside himself and dance at the same time. Back at the AIDS benefit, however, Bowery had intended to shoot the water out of his blowhole towards the ceiling as planned, but it backfired. Bowery, who hadn't rehearsed a show wearing his extremely high heels or costume, couldn't get down onto the floor to lie on his belly and shoot the water towards the ceiling. Instead, he made a split-second decision to save the show, turning his backside to face the audience and saturated the front row with the content of his enema. The place erupted. It went down in history. The show was seen as a political action, 
the front row, sitting at their fancy, exclusive, and expensive champagne-laden tables was a mixture of celebrities, charity execs, and powerful people with money, the type who make decisions. They were, by all accounts, appalled at what had just happened. It was a shit show. On the flip side, Bowery's performance was read as a ballsy fuck you to the rumored corruption within the charity and its fundraising methods, which many of his peers applauded. Bowery was immediately seen as a hero of that time's activist movement. To others, it was the beginning of the end. He fell out of fashion. In the aftermath of that performance, Bowery was canceled and completely demonized by the art institutions. It ended his lustrous TV career and subsequent mainstream media visibility. His performance was seen as too subversive, too shocking, and too political. There was a kickback and it split the queer community in half. Many thought he'd gone too far. Others thought he'd only just started. Bowery's work became more subversive. His next performance involved a swastika armband and body mutilation at an S&M fetish club. This further alienated him from parts of the liberal queer community, and people began to label him, well, a Nazi. Bowery's work pushed boundaries, and as an artist, he tiptoed on the edge of controversy. He made no qualms about it. His response to the armband uproar was to create a specific trademark Luke called Nazi Shithead. Was he poking fun at the liberal discourse? From then on, Bowery explored themes which deliberately made people uncomfortable from an aesthetic and political point of view. His particular interest was embarrassment, an emotion which he thought was underrepresented and unexplored in contemporary performance practice. It was his starting point and a place to leap from. Raw sewage was no exception. Raw Sewage was a short-lived musical project, fronted by Bowery and two other drag queens. Their repertoire mainly consisted of cover versions of disco songs and Walk This Way by Run DMC. The latter can still be viewed on YouTube. A very DIY music video made at London's Trocadero with a green screen. During this period, Bowery started to incorporate blackface into the band's costume, a fact that is largely ignored by today's celebration of him as a queer icon. Sue Tilly, Bowery's best friend and confidant, wrote a book about his life. It includes this paragraph. Quote, He was so far ahead of the general public in what he accepted as normal, he couldn't see that his semi-naked, blacked-up, genitalist band might cause a bit of a problem. The look was completed with minstrel-style black faces with the mainstream features highlighted in white. End quote. Why this is still relevant and interesting within today's cancel culture is because of this. In 2019, Gucci withdrew a balaclava jumper from sale due to complaints it resembled blackface. To remind you, the black jumper covered half your face and featured a cut-out mouth with big red lips. In response to allegations of racism, Gucci's creative director Alessandro Michele apologized for his actions and any harm it had caused. McKelly went on to say that, in fact, the jumper had actually been inspired by performance artist Lee Bowery. After the age shower, the swastika armband, and the blackface, Bowery also began performing with his wife, Nicola, and the group Minty, who combined performance art, music, and theater. 
think Marilyn Manson meets the Teletubbies on acid. Minty was a group of artists, musicians, and agitators that created confrontational performances and actions with Bowery at the helm. It was during this time that Bowery started to strap his wife Nicola upside down and onto his body using a specially designed harness. Once hidden under his gaudy costume, you'd never know Nicola was waiting to be rebirthed as part of the planned performance. Taking this a step further, the pair also introduced fake blood and fleshy bits to carefully craft and recreate a fetus being born. In November 1994, Minty and Bowery started a two-week residency at London's Freedom Cafe, but after only one night, they were canceled by Westminster City Council, who claimed the group and Bowery violated decency and licensing laws. This was to be Bowery's last performance. This performance has proven to be so memorable that in 2016, fashion designer Rick Owens used the harness concept for his spring-summer collection. Obviously, without the fake blood and fleshy entrails. Owens was immediately accused of plagiarism and intellectual theft. He is quoted as saying in Dazed Magazine, We recruited gymnasts from different gymnastic organizations in Paris. I hear that there is a New York performance group that feel I copied their routine and I should have invited a performance group to do it instead. Honestly, I had never heard of them. They might be overestimating my awareness or maybe overestimating their visibility. I think we both knocked off Lee Bowery. End quote. It's questionable if we hold Bowery accountable for his artistic expression and use of imagery, which, if presented in 2021, would be viewed as racist and anti-Semitic. In many cases, the importance of an artist's work escalates over time. Controversial elements get forgotten, buried under the impression left behind, particularly when they die so young. Bowery died on New Year's Eve in 1994 from AIDS-related pneumonia. He was 33. Bowery's legacy, which has been the continual reference within popular culture since the day he died, keeps his memory and momentum alive. This episode was written by Rhiannon Styles. This is a Broccoli Production. 